The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. Please be seated. If you'll take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to First um, Thessalonians in the fourth chapter, I want to give a few, um, kind of set some nails of what we have covered in our series of um, our series of the um, If I Should Die Before I Wake. And um, it's, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? I think, at least I would think you might find it interesting. I, you know, as we went through the Apostles' Creed and I tried to bring out to you why, that text is there about the spirit of Christ in his death for three days. Uh, it shield the, the paradise, the place of blessing, heaven, but not the final new heavens and the new earth. And then his body in the grave and then both are brought forth and united as the very picture of what will happen in the ultimate resurrection for the new heavens and the new earth. And then, as of course, we get into this and you can see that Christ has gone before us and exactly what uh, we will encounter. Our, our, as I've said, our mother and our grandmothers were right when they taught us to pray. Uh, now I lay me down to sleep. If, uh, and uh, as we lay ourselves down to sleep, we pray the Lord my soul to keep. Why do we say soul? Because that is the essence of you. This body will one day be set aside, but that soul doesn't die. That soul continues, and that what's make, that's what makes you, you. When Adam was made from the dust of the ground, Adam was dust of the ground and a corpse. Until God breathed into him the breath of life, the imago Deo. And he is now declared in the image of God, the spirit or the soul. There's a material part of you that comes in the image of your parents. And there's the immaterial part of you, the soul or spirit, mind, heart. There are different terms that are being used to describe that in the Bible. And that, of course, is comes and makes you exist in the image of God. And um, so... When you die physically, and again, why do we have death? We have death because of sin. We don't have a Darwinian world in life view that death is a part of this cosmos. It is an intruder. It is an enemy that was brought in by our sin is what death is. So the wages of sin is death. Three kinds of death. Physical death, separation of the soul and the body. Spiritual death, separation of the person because of our sins uh, from the Lord. And then eternal death, depart from me, the lake of fire, where the death is eternal. It's not an annihilation, as Benny so rightly pointed out to us last week. It is an, act, it is an actual separation from God's felt presence. Now, not his, not his actual presence. Where shall I flee from thy presence, O Lord? If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. But there is the absence of the felt presence that... That which you, that which everybody enjoys, even if they're not believers, because of God's common grace, 
the rain is falling upon the just and the unjust, and that God's felt presence to some degree is encountered by everyone as it restrains us who are totally depraved from being absolutely depraved. So those are the three deaths that are there. So what happens at physical death? Well, what happens at physical death is the body is laid aside because that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That, that body will be raised with a new body for a new heavens and a new earth when Jesus Christ returns. And, um, and so, um, and what about our spirit? Well, absent from the body, spirit, soul, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Just like the thief on the cross was with Jesus in paradise, so we, with a perfected soul, will be with the Lord there and to enjoy that perfected soul and presence. And people say, well, will we know each other in that spiritual existence prior to our bodily resurrection? Yes. The angels are spiritual beings. They are fully in knowledge of one another. And so will we. And in some sense, it's very clear that there will be communication and that there is recognition, even in the intermediate state or the immediate heaven or paradise or Abraham's bosom that believers will enjoy in the presence of the Lord. But the anticipation, of course, is the new heavens and the new earth for those who are in Christ. There's also, as we heard last week, the um, the certain expectation, and that is eternal condemnation in Gehenna, not the intermediate torment of Hades, the abyss that um, um, whereby unbelievers go and whereby fallen angels are now consigned, but there, but the but the everlasting eternal torment of Gehenna or the lake of fire. And but for the believer, there is the everlasting place of the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, someone was telling me the other day about uh, going into the symbolism. In fact, we've got a question on that, so I'll hold off on this. But the symbolism, um, the metaphorical language used to describe hell and heaven and um, and uh, and. And what does that mean? How do you do it? Well, one of the things I love is we um, we sing a song. Uh, this is one. This is one of those little moments that us preachers that get into the Bible and find these little things we love to share with people. These little nuggets. So we sing a lot about the, walking the streets of gold. In fact, Benny brought that out and reminded us of. Uh, us of that, and I tried to bring it out in the sermon that I preached before then on the new heavens and the new earth about the glories and majesty of the new heavens and the new earth, that the the heavenly Jerusalem to which we go when we die spiritually will then come down for the new heavens and the new earth, and that Jerusalem will then be on the new earth, and uh, and we talk about and sing, there's even a hymn that's talked about walking the streets of gold. The only problem is, is when you look at the book of Revelation, it's not streets of gold. It says street. In other words, there's not a first avenue, second avenue, third avenue. There's only street. That's it. So you all get to live on Main Street when we get to heaven. Uh, so we'll all have a wonderful, um, very simple digit code that we have. Uh, in the presence of the Lord, there's no back alleys in heaven. Uh, there's no, uh, there are no setting aside in heaven. And uh, but we will, um, of course, uh, you all are familiar with the joke of the, you know, 
uh, the Baptist that died, he went up to Peter, and Peter was walking him around. He said, well, who's over there? He said, well, those are the Methodists, Christian Methodists, and over there is the, uh, this. And he said, and then they're walking by this one part, and he said, uh, he said, now, you need to be real quiet right here. He said, why? He said, oh, those are the Presbyterians. They think they're the only ones that are up here. So be real quiet there. No, we are fully aware that everyone who is in Christ and Christ is in them, we will enjoy the presence of the Lord together. Now, the other thing that I wanted to make clear to you and that we are going to be covering as we move into this series, we've got about three more sermons in this series that will be following up after the missions conference. And uh, one of those is the next one is the new heavens and the new earth and the um, uh, and the lake of fire, Gehenna, um, that uh, those places uh, that are the eternal abode, the believers uh, with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth, and those who are apart from Christ um, in rebellion and sin against the Lord, now under the judgment of God forever, uh, for the everlasting torments of hell. That doesn't happen without two things, the second coming of Christ and the judgment seat. So I promised you that uh, we are going to look at both of those, the second coming of Christ and the judgment seat. Uh, And then uh, we are also going to look in context with that, with what about the degrees of judgment in hell and what about the rewards of heaven? What does the Bible say about those and how do we understand that? So those things are yet to be handled uh, in the series. Well, one of my favorite passages of Scripture that I would just uh, read for you, and then, um, and then we will, I'll have Bruce to come up and we'll do our conversations, is in First Thessalonians chapter 4 that kind of wraps up some of this for us. Let me walk you through it. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Again, he's not talking about soul sleep. What he is saying is, he, what he's doing is whenever Paul speaks of the death of a Christian, he doesn't use that stark word of the judgments of God, thanatos. He uses a euphemism, sleep, because the terror of death has been removed. We go through the shadow of death because Jesus has won the victory over sin and Satan and death and hell, and the grave. And one of the ways that Paul likes to present that is to use a euphemism. So he speaks of the death of believers as sleep, not as that stark word of, of, because the Lord goes with them. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. So then he says, and that you may grieve as others, that you may not grieve as others who do, who have no hope. In other words, He is saying, believers grieve. Listen, folks, I can rejoice for my loved one who is with Jesus, and I can grieve for the fact I don't have immediate contact with him until I go to be with Jesus to be with them, or until Jesus comes and brings us all together. So grief is a part of the Christian life. You don't have to, when somebody dies, well, they're with Jesus and I just better not grieve. No, we rejoice for them, but we grieve for what we have lost in that situation. And uh, and then the Lord, that's why I'm so grateful for Mark and Leslie's ministry on 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 bringing the gospel to bear upon grief, and uh, I'm glad we can provide that for people to go through, uh, so that we know how we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Our grief is informed by the hope that is secure in Christ. 
And then he says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So now what does that tell you? When Jesus comes back, who's coming with him? It's getting hard now. Come on. Come on. All the believers who have died to go be with him. So that tells you a couple of things. They can't come back with him when he comes unless they are with him right now. Right? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. The second thing that's telling you is that when they come back and when Jesus comes back, he comes with them. That's why I love for all the saints, <laughs> those last two verses, when Jesus comes back and it's going to be a great getting up morning for our bodies. It's, it's a coming to as the saints go with him to bring the, uh, the elect of God who are still alive into the presence of the Lord for all eternity. So the those who have died come with him when he comes again. Again at the second coming. Now the second, the next thing I want you to see is for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive when Jesus comes, if you're still living, you, your body and soul, you haven't died yet, with your soul with the Lord and your body to the to the corruption, where you are is you're alive right now. So if you're alive when Jesus comes back, here's what He says to you: We who are alive. Um, um, uh, for this, we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, you're not better off. They're already with him. So you don't precede them. Nor will you precede their bodies, which are going to be raised, because when when he comes and you are caught up with him, the bodies of those who are coming with him... In their perfected soul and spirit, their bodies will be raised at that time. So what he says is, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with his cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now that's not saying Presbyterians get to go first. I know some people think that. But no, that's not what it's saying. What it is saying is, is that those who are in Christ coming with him in their perfected souls, their bodies are going to rise up and be, we will all be caught up and be united to their souls. That's what he's telling you. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. In other words, those who are coming in the perfected souls will be joined to the body that's resurrected at the coming of Christ. And then we who are alive will be caught up with them and our bodies will be transformed and our souls perfected at the same time. Then we who are alive or left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now that language clouds, I believe, is, is purposely there because when Jesus, in his glorified body, when he ascended to the throne, what was he, what did it say? He rose in what? In the clouds. And he says, in the same manner, you'll see him coming again. In the clouds. I believe that's, I believe that's biblical language referring to the Shekinah glory of God. Remember the cloud of God's glory that fell upon the tabernacle. This is referring to being caught up into the glory of the Lord forever. The clouds. It doesn't just mean it's going to be partly cloudy that day. I think it's referring to the Shekinah glory of the Lord. That's the language of clouds in the Bible. And then it says, um, and then he says that we who uh, will always, then we will always be with the Lord. 
All right, I'm going to give you a little head up, heads up. One of the things we're going to look at is the second coming of Christ. Please know, I believe there's one second coming of Christ. I don't believe there's two, and I don't believe there's two and a half. And we're going to find out what does the Bible say about that in a couple of weeks. Here, you're clear, it's clear, there is one second coming of Christ. And we'll call it up, and what? Be always with the Lord. So encourage one another with these words. So this is part of discipleship that we know what happens as we're saved in life and in death. So, Bruce, would you come on up and let me pray for us? God, would you guide and direct us now as we make our way through these questions and um, those that have already been sent, those that we have, those that are yet to be sent. Would you give us wisdom from above? Thank you for my brothers and sisters, the joy we've had in worship. God, thank you so much for the praise team and Chris and 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 uh, Daniel and uh, the instrumentalists. Uh, thank you so much for all of them. And now, Father, just as you enabled us to sing praise, as you enabled me to share the word, would you enable us to address the issues upon the heart with wisdom from above? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, go ahead. Have a seat. <laughs> all right. I want to make sure I'm... Six feet and three inches away from you. That's right. right. Typically, what would have happened right before this is I would have been prepping the pastor with all the answers. And so that's a little different uh, this time. I'm on my own now. You're on your own. You're on my own. Okay. All right. Thank you. I have full confidence in my ability to ask the questions that are written right here in front of me. Okay. Okay, Pastor. The first question comes from last week's uh, sermon. Uh, Benny Parks did a great job of handling Hell last week. It's passable. Yeah, I've been enjoying telling him that. Uh, And the question is this. It's commonly stated that heaven very simply is the presence of God and hell is the absence of God. Is that correct? Yes and no. (laughs) So, yes, as I just said, I believe hell is the absence of the felt presence of God. By definition of who God is, God is everywhere, even that which he creates uh, which would be hell itself. Uh, so, but I don't believe they will have his felt presence there. Uh, I don't believe that in the eternal hell, his felt presence will be experienced. And, um, you know, and, and Bruce, a lot of people will then say, uh, there's a very popular friend of mine that's written a book and he has a chapter on hell and he speaks of the fact that, which, which ought to make, un, which, Unbelievers ought not to push back on the doctrine of hell because in life you didn't want him. So in eternity, you don't get him. My problem with that is, yes, in life they don't want him, but they do want his presence. Even an unbeliever. I mean, listen to an atheist hit his finger with a hammer and tell me what comes out of his mouth next. He calls on God. That's why when the Bible speaks of the sending uh, from the judgment seat of men and women to eternal condemnation, this is the language it is. They are thrown into hell. Hurled. They are hurled into hell. They are sent into hell. They are cast into hell. There's no, oh yeah, that, yeah, that's what I wanted anyway. Uh, that's, um, the, the horrors of hell. 
Now, that does not mean I believe they become repentant. On the contrary, uh, Benny was absolutely again on target. It is a temper. When it says the weeping and gnashing of teeth, that is not remorse. That is a temper tantrum mm-hmm. against God. That, that language, gnashing of teeth, that's what they did to Stephen. They gnashed their teeth upon him. It was, a, it was an anger tantrum is what it is. What it is. So, um, so I, I, think it just, I think that needs to be clear. So the fire that is mentioned about hell. So is the fire literal? Is there literal fire that is taking place? If so, what are the ramifications of that? Or is that simply symbolic? Right. And so, <clears throat> um, and, and of course, you've got the same issue about heaven. Are there pearly gates? Are there, is it gold? Uh, or is that metaphorical language that is trying, it's reaching for something to speak yeah, it, it's symbolic language by definition never ascends to the substance of what it's describing. So all that you read, all that it says about heaven, that symbol, I think that's basically symbolic language, meaning it's greater. That's the best language we can come up with. I mean, you know, what do people do? They, they give everything for gold, don't they? Well, we throw it out and walk on it in heaven. I mean, that's paving material in heaven. Uh, And what that's telling you is heaven is so glorious. The things that you think are the most glorious here don't even compare to what it's going to be like to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. And so I believe that language is for that purpose. I think the same thing's true about hell. But let me put it this way to try to make it clear about symbolic or metaphorical language. Um. Could it be a literal fire? Yes. Could it be a literal outer darkness? And that's a very interesting phrase, outer darkness. It means darkest darkness. The final state of the impenitent in hell is not one with any relationships. You not only lose the felt presence with God, you lose the felt presence with everyone. It's darkest darkness. Now, I just thought you were made for relationships. I mean, have y'all seen what's happened with quarantining? Mm-hmm. Have you seen what's happened? Uh, have you have you seen what's happened whenever somebody have you ever wondered why they do isolation cells in terms of punishment and what it happens to people that are put in isolation? Uh, that is that is a uh, that is that is punitive. Mm. And outer darkness is just saying there is no light. No hope and absolute isolation from the felt presence of God and from the felt presence of this notion. Well, I'm going to go to hell. That's where all my friends are. Sorry, no connection. And let me be abundantly clear to you. Uh, I, I used to use that kind of stupid conversation before I was converted in my rebellion. So I want to make that just as uh, let me think of it this way. We're made in the image of God. If hell is the loss of the felt presence of God, then that would require the loss of the felt presence with human beings made in the image of God. So it is absolute isolation. And every one of us are born with a ticket for that place. Unless you come to Jesus, who cancels that ticket and purchases you another ticket to be with him. Forever. So this question comes from someone who sent it in here. One other thing. Let me put it this way. 
if if there's not a literal fire and that is symbolic, you will have wished it wasn't. Because the reality will be worse than the symbol. If it's not an actual literal fire, you will have wished it was. Because the, the substance of the metaphor is always beyond the metaphor itself, which is why you've reached for a metaphor and a symbol. So can a Christian lose their salvation and go to hell instead of heaven? How can we be sure? Well, because uh, the Bible uh, is very clear that God is just. And if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you're truly converted. Uh, if that's the case, um, then Jesus has bore your hell. And God does not put you under double jeopardy. Amen. He doesn't require two payments for one sin. So if you're in Christ and Jesus paid for your sins, then you're forgiven. And um, so, well, Pastor, what about people that say they're in Christ and then they go off into this and it becomes evident of this impenitent, I mean, this sinful life. And it was just all, a, you know, they went and joined the church and got baptized, but there's been no fruit. Mm -hmm. Well, if there's no fruit, there's no root. But that doesn't mean they were saved and got lost. That meant that they were deceitful and duplicitous for whatever reason. There's a lot of people that say, well, I'd like to be a Christian. I'd love the benefits of the cross. I just don't want the crown. I don't want the demands of Christ as king. And so, but that means they're not truly converted. Here's what John says. When they went out from you, it revealed they never were one of you. In other words, if there's no fruit, then there's no. Now, some fruit's 30-fold, some 60, some 100-fold. But as I said, the way I say it, if there's no fruit from the shoot, then there's no root. <laughs> and that means, and that's what that is revealing. Okay? Let me be, but, but let me kind of get to where I think this question is headed. I believe when I get to heaven, there are going to be some people that are Christians. I was wondering. Mm -hmm. But I believe there's going to be a lot of people that I thought were going to be there that aren't. That's right. And I'm merely quoting Jesus. On that day, many, many will say to me, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Oh, you had a lot of religious activity, but you didn't have me. And that's all it was, was wood, hay, and stubble. You didn't have me. Depart from me. I never knew you. Folks, can I just put in a little word for preaching that's not fluff? <laughs> can I put in a little word for it? What is eternal life? Jesus told you. John 17. This is eternal life, that you know God and His Son, Jesus. Can I give you another word for that? Theology. I'm not talking about dry, cold, propositional precepts. I'm talking about a knowledgeable, intimate, deep relationship with Christ. And the key to your big life for Jesus is to see the bigness of God. That's the key right there. 
And so it's not, uh, I mean, I remember when my student pastor, this lady came up to me, you know, pastor, I just, um, I mean, all this doctrine, 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 can you, I just, I want to feel better. And I said, well, I'm trying to give you the metrics to understand your feelings. I don't want you to build a Christian life from your feelings. I want you to build a Christian life from the word so you can understand your feelings. Instruct your feelings. Interpret your feelings. That's what I want to do. So, Pastor, can you see someone's soul? Can you see someone's soul? Well, I thought I could growing up because I used to watch Soul Train before I got converted. But, uh, no, uh, you know, Bruce, I don't know. I don't think you can see a soul. Uh, no. no. Okay. Well, that was a Somebody out there didn't have anything to do to give me that question. Yeah, Abby uh, sent that in. Uh, okay, so, yeah. um, no. I, um, no, I don't think you can, uh, I, no, yeah, <laughs> you can't, I think you can see what is in the soul manifested in life. Uh, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. So when people want to praise God in spirit and truth, then that shows something's filling their soul, and you know something about the soul from what's coming through the heart and the mouth and in the life. But I don't, you can't see the soul, but you can see the result of a soul that's alive in Christ and that's being filled with Christ. Pastor, there was um, accusations that came out last fall, early, I guess, about Robbie Zacharias. Of course, he died. Then accusations about sexual misconduct that uh, he had engaged in before then. Then the uh, Ravi Zacharias Ministries did an investigation, got an independent investigation. They've now produced a report, given that, published that full uh, report. How, how should we respond to reports of moral failures of such a public uh, Christian figure? Wow. Well, I have to confess to you, uh, it was very difficult for me to preach today because this has just so burdened my soul. Mm. Um, Ravi was not a close friend, but I have known him for a long time, didn't know him well, obviously. Uh, Jim Boyce introduced me to him back when the, we did the Cambridge Declaration. And then um, I had the privilege to speak with him here, and we had the privilege to have him here a couple of times. We also have a same uh, religious pedigree. He's from the Christian Missionary Alliance, and I'm from the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, there's so many la- so many layers to this. So, folks, let me just give you a couple of them. Um, uh, first of all, I've already done a Today in Perspective on this because they had a preliminary report, and I had to speak to it for various reasons. So if you'll go to the archives of Today in Perspective back about three weeks ago, I did this. We're probably going to be doing another one now that the final report. This has been very difficult for me for another reason, as I've known this was coming, but I couldn't talk about it. Uh, we wanted to wait till we did not want to get ahead of the RZIM board who had commissioned and paid for this full investigation. Uh, and um, And I think they have admirably handled this appropriately and um, if you have not seen the report well I hate to recommend it uh, at least read their opening letter uh, it was it was very well stated and very well done um, you may or may not want to read the report for various reasons uh, and it seems to have been substantiated and beyond substantiation uh, as well 
my heart goes out to his wife, uh, Barbara, and daughters, and son, and family. Uh, um, hun- you know, I think it's well over 100 employees, obviously, are affected by this. I'm sure the ministry is going to close down. But what, what are some lessons that you can learn? Well, again, there's some obvious ones that many of you are ahead of me. Is uh, God uses people in our life. And um, and you should never, never, never build your life on instruments that he uses because you don't really know everything about those instruments. I have said many times Christians need models for their life. And almost all of you know what I next say. Don't get your models from life, from your from contemporary people. Get your models from those in the Bible, because the Bible's honest about everybody and get your Get your models from history. People, we know the last chapter. We know how they finished. That's where you want to get your models. You have to get mentors from the present, but get your models from history or the Bible. And we need models because we're imitators. Uh, but, uh, but make sure that you do that. But in, in your models, never fix on them. Use them. They're signposts. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's where you fix your eyes. Don't depend on them. Don't build everything on them. Don't get into a cult of personality, theologically, ecclesiastically, or politically, or socially, or academically. Don't do that. You're a Christian. Fix your eyes on Jesus. God can use, God can use people that don't even know Him in your life. God can use people who do know him and their imperfections in your life. And God can use people. God can even use people because truth is truth that may say true things, but they don't really know him. And later on, you think they do, but later it proves that they didn't. So everybody always asks me, is, was Robbie saved? I don't know. I don't know the soul. don't know the heart. Um, I will say uh, that's a fair question. Um, I, you know, well, what about David? Well, David repented when the when the when when um, Nathan brought the charge of God's word against him, he repented. Um, when these were surfaced, there was no repentance. Uh, on the contrary, there was avoidance and um, and the destruction of other lives. So that's a concern for me. Um, uh, that, that, listen, this was part of my plea this morning about this next generation uh, and trying to get them up uh, to the Lord um, and get some good models and mentors in their life. So, uh, but here's another lesson. Do you not see why the first bell that rings in your life is a secret life? This was a studied, developed, deceitful, secret life. Stay transparent. Stay accountable. I'm going to make another statement. This is not totally true. This is not, this is not conclusively true. It's true, but not conclusively. If you look back over the last 40 years and all the failures that get to our soul, most of them are celebrity leaders who are not pastors of churches. Or they are celebrity leaders and they're 
called pastor of a church, but they don't operate like a pastor in a church. They operate more like celebrities in the church. I am a Presbyterian by conviction. It's the only system, not only because of the biblical precepts. Now, please, you don't have to be a Presbyterian to get to heaven. You've heard me say that. Um, You'll have to change when you get to heaven, but you don't have to uh, on the way. Um, But the reason I end, I wasn't born one. The reason I'm there is because I studied the scripture, plurality of leadership, connectional church government, covenantal relationships. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing was this. There's this principle in scripture of accountability and submission. And it was the only system that I saw where every member, every minister, every leader and every church is accountable to somebody. And I knew I needed that. I needed more than that. So I got three guys. We've been meeting together 38 years, holding each other accountable. I need that. But when I came here, the elders graciously set up eight men to hold me accountable and meet with me regularly to throw the flag in my life if necessary. I need that. I get evaluated every year. I need that. That's not strength in my life. That's, that's an awareness of the weaknesses in my life. You don't avoid, you don't build a secret life. You build an accountable life, a transparent life. That's what you need to do with your life. Don't have another computer, another iPhone, another this, another that. That, you ought to have flags going up everywhere if you're rationalizing that. The next thing you read, if you'll read that account, which I, again, don't necessarily need to, let me give you another download. The rationalization, on the one hand, I'm kind of glad that Ravi felt the need to rationalize this, what he was doing. But there's always rationalizations. Everyone that has plummeted, you don't know the pressures I'm under. You don't know this. I deserve this. That always happens. I tell you, Satan is unbelievably deceitful on this stuff. So, um, so you need leaders in your life, but you don't need celebrities. You need pastors in churches that act like a church with accountability, with transparency, and you need pastoral preaching, pastoral teaching, Elder shepherding, you need that in your life. Quit running to the next program and the next personality. Please quit it. How many times do you have to be warned? I can give you eight in the last two years. Eight. Well, Harry, I know you love R.C. Sproul. Wasn't he an itinerant? No. R.C. was on a church staff in Cincinnati, and he was the pastor of St. Andrews. And he would tell you that took all precedent over Ligonier Ministries in his life. He said, in fact, the greatest joy of his life was being a pastor and working under the elders of that church and alongside of them. So I believe that's where you begin to look. That's why all of my mentors in life were pastors of churches that acted like churches. And um, not perfect, but acted like churches. And that's what I would say to you, one of the lessons to learn in this. Um, probably the most troubling thing is, uh, not only did Ravi not own it when it came, and had studiously developed this over decades, and there were Mitch 
collateral damage in people's lives. But um, what really pains me is uh, not, and obviously I'm paying for his family and his children, uh, some of which went to school with my children. Uh, but what, um, but what really pains me is that as you move to the end, it seems to me that you would, that he would have wanted to get it right, knowing he was dying. And, um, but folks, the Bible tells you. Some sins become evident on this side. Some sins become evident when you go to the other side. But be sure your sins will find you out. And uh, what a man sows, he reaps. Uh, Yes, we have removed Ravi from our radio. Uh, Yes, we have removed the books. Now, I think you have to be careful here. Because truth is truth, no matter who says it. I mean, if God can use... You know, a donkey uh, and, and a Presbyterian preacher. There's two right there. Uh, but uh, so we recognize that. But in the midst of something like that, there's clearly a relationship. We don't want to cancel the message, but we do want to recognize that when you carry something like that, you are um, you have to you have to in the immediacy of the situation. Uh, you are, as it were, affirming the messenger as well as the message. So we have, in this moment, uh, removed it from the bookstore, removed it from the reading list uh, in our seminary um, and, uh, and the radio program. I know Ligonier has gone through the same process because Ravi was a regular at Ligonier Ministries, and they uh, have had to go through the same process. That's maybe a lot more than you want to know. but Oh, no, sir. What do you say? I mean, I, I know that I have sent people uh, Ravi Zacharias materials, directed them to the website. Uh, people who are searching, uh, very effective in terms of apologetics. So what do you say to those people that then say, well, then there you go. And that makes every one of his claims false. Yeah. Clearly, there'll be people who attack right. uh, that. So here's what you say to them. And hopefully you know this because you are in a church that is committed to reform theology and the... And the framing principle of Reformed theology is what? All scripture is inspired by God, right? Our only rule of faith and practice is what? Harry Reader. No. Ravi Zacharias. No. The Bible. Our confession, chapter one, is what? The scripture. People say to me, Harry, the Westminster Confession of Faith, why didn't they start chapter one, God? Because you don't know God without the Word of God. You can't know. Now, you know the Word of God and not know the God of the Word. But you can't know the God of the Word without the Word of God. So they, we are people of the book, not people of the preachers. That's what Paul said. Quit this. I am of Apollos. I am of Peter. I am of the... You belong to Jesus by way of the book through the power of the Spirit of God. So you tell them, hey, listen, we believe we appreciated what Robbie wrote, not because Robbie wrote it, but because it was faithful to God's word. And uh, so and because of Robbie, that doesn't discount God's word. On the contrary, God's word would tell us that this is coming. This is another affirmation of God's word. Put no confidence in princes. <laughs> Amen. 
Pastor, one of the pieces of legislation that has hit the Alabama legislation legislators is the uh, gambling legislation. Um, how do we make our voice heard and fight this uh, legislation? Any, I know it's early, uh, but any initial thoughts that you have on it? Oh, I really have to. Let me do a little filtering here. Uh, first of all, I, the, you make Monday, me nervous when you say that. <laughs> Monday is. Uh, I do a, I, I've done a today in perspective that's going to air tomorrow morning on this, and it won't be the last one. Uh, so I'll tell you what I feel. Uh, and again, I want to thank the Lord for one of our elders who's a senator who has spoken out on this issue, one of the few. Um, this was an issue when I came here. I'm grateful for Briarwood's engagement on this issue to defeat it when we were told it was undefeatable. Sixty-plus um, percent, almost 70 percent wanted this in our state, and it got voted down roundly. And I'm grateful for the leadership in this church, our, our own Gary Palmer, uh, who is now a congressman. He had great leadership at that time. I don't want to start naming everybody because there was more than him. There were some wonderful uh, uh, ministries, churches, uh, etc. And um, But what's concerning me now is I don't hear people taking on this fight. I hear them giving up and wanting to manage it instead of confront it. Mm. I think it needs to be confronted. I don't think you, I don't think you manage sin. You mortify sin. And this is sin. This is predatory. This is a lack of leadership to discipline ourselves in this state. We've got plenty of resources to do what we ought to do. If you would take the time and do the stuff, to do the, make the tough decisions to make our budget be what it ought to be, to do the right things for the citizens of this state. We don't need a, a, a facade of a pot of gold that's actually a cesspool. It's going to destroy the social fabric of the people. It is predatory. It goes after the people that have the least money for something like this. You won't find billboards for the lottery in Mountain Brook. You'll find them in other places. That's where you're going to find it. And that's why these millions of dollars are put up there. It is a fool's gold. It is, it is promised. You've got about as much chance of winning this as getting eaten by a shark tomorrow when you get out of bed. And so here is, that's what you're going to, that's what we are selling people. In order we, so that we don't have to make the leadership decisions. People then say to me, uh, well, the people want to vote on it. Well, that doesn't mean you have to bring a vote on it. That means they elected you to make certain votes for them. And um, so I want to, I, I think that's, it's a failure of leadership. It is a predatory promise. It is a regressive tax. That would put the best spin on it. Uh, it is, um, it is destructive to marriages, to lives, to families. Listen, you go to a state where there's a lottery. I can take you to my home state, North Carolina, although I consider Alabama my home state now. And I can take you to Georgia. All of the promises, the same ones, millions and millions of dollars in free education. It's not true. And it won't be true here. I can promise you that. So what we need are leaders. Who will take this on. 
And now it looks like it's coming for a vote because it's going to require a constitutional amendment. And so we need leadership once again to step up. And perhaps by God's grace, this thing can be. I, 21 years ago, I was grateful to be a part of, just a small part of, uh, uh, getting rid of this blight. And, and if Mississippi wants it, you can have it. If Georgia wants it, you can have it. North Carolina, you, I can go. Can I go, tell, can I go show you the places and what it's doing to those states? And education. Well, I would pray that y'all would get lib- they would get liberated from it. But I, I am going to do everything I can to speak to this issue. I believe this is a stewardship issue. I believe it's a life issue. I believe it's all of that. And part of my job as a pastor is to make disciples with the gospel, teaching people the whole counsel of God and why quote unquote gambling is considered a moral evil in the word of God. Why is it and why and what does it do? As a part of discipleship. That doesn't mean Briarwood becomes the anti-gambling church. It means we just teach and preach the whole counsel of God. That's what we do. And uh, when an issue comes up like this, if we do our job of discipleship right, then we'll raise up other um, Gary Palmers and other this and other that that will walk into life and give us leadership out there on this issue. And uh, so that's just like we've got people that lead us in adoption and, and sanctity of life with all kind of ministries that you have spawned in your individual lives because we make disciples then, uh, and teach the whole counsel of God, then I hope something like this is developed. And I will speak to it on today in perspective. So um, I, that was my initial thoughts. I need to have a lot more thoughts about it. Um, my dear friend John MacArthur has done an excellent series on gambling um, a number of years ago, and I would cons- I would encourage you to uh, to uh, to listen to it. I, uh, it's been a long time, but I'm probably going to need to go back and listen to it again myself. So I would commend that to you. Okay, Pastor. Our last question. Okay, actually, Cindy had a question um, before the last question that she sent in. Happy Valentine's. Well, it's connected to Valentine's. She wants to know, in front of everybody, do you consider the outlaw Josie Wells to be a romantic Valentine's Day movie? Yes, absolutely. The outlaw Josie that's, that's Wells. That's what she was afraid of. The TV version. <laughs> yeah. The outlaw Josie Wells is the greatest movie ever made. For any occasion. For any occasion. It's wonderful for Valentine's, anniversary, birthdays. St. Patrick's Day. Uh, Christmas night. Uh, yeah, that's just, uh, that's the, that, that's it. The outlaw Josie Wales. And um, so. Okay, uh, last question. And this is a layup. So I, uh, I'll let you end with this. Kind of like my sermons. My last point. <laughs> this is my third last point. My third last question. Yeah, I'm, I'm not touching that. Y'all, y'all, y'all realize that, right? I, I'm not saying a word on that, on that one. One born yesterday. Um, why should why should a Briarwood member prioritize the missions conference? Oh, because this is what we are. Missions conference just just brings some focus to what we are. We're on mission, on message, in ministry, and this is going to highlight those who can go. See, we do missions work here. 
but we can't get everywhere, but we're called to go everywhere. So that means God raises up people who can do cross-cultural missions. So we've looked at the Bible. When Paul did missions, he went to a city. He did evangelism and discipleship. Then he did church planting and church strengthening. And then he did um, gospel leadership development and deployment. So we, that's who, that you're going to meet. To be on our mission staff, you've got to be doing one of those things. You've got to be doing one of those things. Gospel evangelism and discipleship, gospel church planting or gospel church strengthening, or gospel leadership development and deployment. Um, uh, that's what you've got to do. That's what we send you out there to do, and we partner with you by prayer, finances, and personal engagement and encouragement. That's what we do. And you get a chance to meet some of your in, your prayer investment, your finance, faith promise. Invest. You get a chance every year we bring in a bunch of these people. This year we're going to have to do some electronic stuff, but we're still going to get as much to you. I'm, I'm excited about what the global team has uh, put together for us. So I think this is going to be a great, great opportunity for us. Thankfully, we've been able to have our national missions and now our world missions. Uh, we're going to we're going to keep pressing on. On in this present distress, and um, you're going. John Curry is going to be a great. He's got a great messages for us. So that's that's what we do. Now listen, it takes longer to plant a church usually internationally than it does here historically. So some of these are they. It goes longer. We develop relationships with these people over a period of time. So, um, but that's what we do. We plant churches. Here's, here's what you need to know. We believe at Briarwood there's something called church. It has a mission. It has a message. It has four ministries. The ministry of upreach, worship. The ministry of outreach, evangelism. The ministry of inreach, love, and spiritual gifts developed. And ministry of downreach, discipleship. That's what we believe. Now, we want to get people that are gifted to go put it there. This is what church is. And here's where you, now, what does it look like uh, in Malawi, in that language, in that culture? You don't start with the culture and figure out the church you want. You start with the Bible. What is Christ's church? Its mission, its message, its ministries. Now, how does it land through gifted people that know how to put it in that location, in that generation? How are people gifted to do it? And you're going to get the chance to meet them. And I'm excited. <laughs> you have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.